that ever needed to see revival. It's our generation. It's the time. It's the hour in which we're living right now. And so we're going to study from God's Word some principles from not only Scripture but history that lay a foundation of understanding for us for what revival really is. You know, a lot of people have got all kinds of ideas about revival, but it's just important in our generation that we come to a place of understanding, not just with our spirit, but we also understand with our heads and our hearts what revival is. So would you turn with me in your Bibles over, please, to Psalm 85. I want us to just pick up two or three scriptures here as we start getting into this together. But Psalm 85, verse 6, a question is asked, and the question was this of the Lord. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Will you not revive us again? The key to understanding that scripture is the word again. <laughs> as we're going to see as we move along here, revivals have been part of the church's history all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And what this scripture is referring to is, God, are you going to do this thing again? Will you do it one more time? In our generation, that's the cry of our heart. God, do it again. Amen? Look with me, please, over at Hosea chapter 10. And in Hosea 10, 12, the Bible says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and he rains righteousness on you. That scripture from Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 is a direct reference to the desire of revival. That God would send revival. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground or the hard ground or the ground that has laid dormant for quite some time. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and he rains righteousness on you. One of the characteristics of revival that we find is often it's referred to as a rain, raining down upon us, just like it's raining outside this evening, that God would come and rain his spirit upon us. Look with me at one more scripture, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Where the prophet cried out and he said, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make it known. In wrath remember mercy. Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work. Cause it to live once more in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make it known. In your wrath of judgment and correction and discipline, God, in the middle of all those things, remember your great mercy, your kindness, your goodness, your love on our behalf. My friends, it's been 15 years. In fact, in a couple of weeks, it will have been 15 years since God first sent us on the road to travel. And God has sent us all over the world, five continents now, 48 denominations and still counting, somewhere getting close, I suppose, to 4,000 meetings 
But the prophetic mandate that God gave us when he first sent us out is he said, I've called you to go and help prepare my church for what I've already prepared for my church, the coming of my glory and the greatest revival the world has ever seen. And so that's part of the reason that we're going to be spending these hours together is part of that process of laying the foundation and preparing and tilling the ground and sowing the seed again in a new way, helping to prepare the church for something that is already on God's calendar, something that God has already purposed to do. He's going to send revival. He's going to send a revelation of His glory. It's already stored up and ready to be shipped. The only thing that's not ready is we're not ready. And if there's ever been a day, if there's ever been a time, if there's ever been a generation that better get ready and better contend for revival, it's the hour in which we're living right now. So what is revival? When I was a United Methodist pastor, for me, revival was the first week of November every year. That's what I thought revival was. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Friday night, everybody comes at 5.30, brings a pot, blessing dinner. Church provides the styrofoam plates and the plastic forks and knives and spoons and coffee and tea. And you bring the food for your family and one more. And we're going to eat together. And then we're going to have revival at 7 o'clock on Friday night, the last service of our revival. That great revival that we had in the Methodist church always went to about 8.15, unless we had a sweeping move of the Holy Ghost, and then it might go to late 25. And all the local churches would come and visit our revival while we had our revival, which then, of course, obligated us to go and attend their revival when they had their revival. How many know what I'm talking about? All right. Well, what we didn't understand, and I'm not being critical when I say those things, what we didn't understand is that was more likened to a series of meetings because revivals are sovereign things that God does. In your syllabus, you've got some definitions of what revival is. One of those definitions is revival is when heaven invades earth. J. Edwin Orr described it this way. It says there's certain seasons called revival when God has poured out His Spirit upon His people. These times, also called awakenings, occurred when the presence of God was experienced in powerful ways. Someone else has described revival this way. They say revival is an extraordinary work of God being done in the lives of His people that is magnified beyond the ordinary work of God in the lives of His people. I like that. It's when God comes and magnifies and increases, dramatically increases, the work that He is doing continuously. There are times it's like when God cranks up the power to that work and accelerates it and increases it. It's important that we understand that what revival is, is it's not just a series of meetings planned or orchestrated by people. It can never be manufactured. It can never be trumped up. But revival is a sovereign moving of the Holy Spirit. And what revival literally means is to revive. Vive means life. And to re means to do it again. 
So essentially what revival, if you break that word up to its root core, literally means to make something live again. Revivals are times when God comes and he takes something that is in danger of dying and he causes what is on the verge of death to be restored, to be refilled, reinvigorated once more with life, with the life of God, with the heavenly realms, in order that it come forth once again, that it begin to bloom and blossom and be filled with life once again. And so if we're going to understand what revival really is, it is necessary for us to understand the concept of open heavens. Now what is an open heaven? An open heaven is when there is a breach or a break in the barrier that separates the earthly realm from the heavenly realm. It is when the spirit realm and the earthly realm, side by side, there is a break between the barrier of those two worlds and the contents of the heavenly realm comes over into and fills to capacity the earthly realm. It's when the presence of God becomes tangible, palpable. We call that glory. And what the glory of God is, is when the presence of God comes into the natural realm and can be experienced by people using one or more of their five natural senses. The natural senses, of course, being sight and hearing, taste, touch, and smell. When we talk about the glory of God, it is when the presence of God comes into the earthly realm and people have encounters with God in His presence and in His glory. The Bible talks about two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of God. Now, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew uses them interchangeably. The other gospel writers draw some distinction between the two. Heaven today is a real place. And this is not a course on heaven, but if you're born again, one of these days we all get to go there and live for all of eternity. Heaven's more real than the city which you live in. Heaven's more real than this beautiful building that we're meeting in tonight. Heaven's a real place. That's the kingdom of heaven. But when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God, it is actually a reference to the heavenly realm coming into the earthly realm. It's when the kingdom of heaven and all that the heavenly realm entails spills over and invades the earthly realm and people experience the heavenly realm. They experience God. They experience His power. They experience His glory. They experience His anointing. They have experiences with God while they are still living upon the earth. It is heavenly experiences before we go to heaven. And that's this process of open heavens. Would you look with me please over at Isaiah chapter 64. In Isaiah 64, we find one of the most passionate prayers for revival recorded anywhere in Scripture. 
verse 1, Isaiah 64, 1. Oh, that you would rend or tear open the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence, as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. What Isaiah was praying for here was revival. That God, you would separate, that you would divide, that you would break open the barrier that separates the earthly realm from the heavenly realm. And God, that you would come down into this earth in such a measure that mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that God, even nations, nations might tremble at your presence. My brothers and sisters, I believe before the coming of the Lord Jesus, and I personally believe that that's soon, we are going to see heavens opened and barriers between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm breached And the presence of God, the glory of God, the power of God come in such a measure that even nations would be shaken, that nations would be confronted with the reality of the presence and the power of God. But Isaiah 64 is one of the most famous of all the prayers for revival in the Bible. The concept of open heaven is found in the Old Testament. We've read already from Isaiah 64 of open heavens. Ezekiel chapter 1 is a great example of open heavens. And I'll let you go on your own time and look at that. But Ezekiel described the place that he was by the river Chebar. And he gave the year and the month and the day of the month. And he said, and the heavens were open and I had visions of God. And then the book of Ezekiel was a product of that experience. All across the Old Testament, we find references either directly cited as such or given to us as examples where it happened of the heavens being opened and the contents of the heavenly realm coming into the earthly realm and people experience that heavenly realm. Do you remember Jacob and the vision that he had in the book of Genesis of the ladder with the angels coming and going? How many of you remember that? Well, that was an example of an open heaven. And so there are many examples found throughout the Old Testament of the barrier between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm being breached the contents of the heavenly realm coming into the earthly realm, and people here experiencing that. The concept of an open heaven, secondly, is found in the Gospels. It is either directly referred to, and why don't we just turn over there to John chapter 1, or it is demonstrated by example. In John chapter 1, he was having this conversation about Nathanael and Philip, and you remember the story there. And Nathanael answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Well, obviously, he'd already had a revelation of who Jesus was in John chapter 1. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, in verse 50, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus referred to this concept of open heavens. John the Baptist experienced this. His testimony was concerning the baptism of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And John bore witness in John 1.32, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and He remained upon Him. And I did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said, Upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so there was an open heaven here at the time of Jesus' water baptism by John, that the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and hovered and brooded over Him in the same manner as a dove. The concept, thirdly, of an open heaven is found in the New Testament as well. Maybe one of the most famous is Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to let you do the research on these scriptures. Time won't allow us to read them all. But in Acts chapter 2, it describes a scenario at 9 o'clock in the morning. 120 people were gathered together in the upper room. Jesus had been crucified, raised from the dead, And he instructed his disciples to tarry, to wait at Jerusalem until they were endued with power. And they didn't know what else to do except to do what Jesus said to do. That's always a good idea. How many know that's a good idea? If we would just do what Jesus said to do without adding a lot to it, we'd be a lot better off. And he said, I don't want you to do anything but wait until... The one that the Father is going to send to take over the job that I've begun here has come. Well, 120 people are there in the upper room. They're worshiping. They're praying. They've been there for days and nights and nights and days and days and nights and nights and days. That morning at 9 o'clock, the heavens were open. The Holy Spirit came through that place. The sound of a mighty rushing wind. The breath of God, the wind of God filled the place. Tongues of fire, heavenly fire, glory manifestations rested upon the twelve. They began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the church was born that day in Acts chapter 2 because the heavens were opened and God sent a revelation of His power and His glory and touched 120 people. And out of that came a revelation of God that touched the entire world. Beloved, revival comes when the heavens are open. If there is no open heaven, it's just another church meeting. If there is no open heaven, it's just another gathering together of religious people driven with religious ideas, with religious motivation. But it's when the heavens open and the presence of God comes into the meeting, when the presence of God comes into the church, that is the DNA, that is the essence of what revival is. Are we all together here? We never have a revival without an open heaven. And the heavens never open until God opens the heavens. And when God opens the heavens, then He comes 
things cannot be business as usual much longer. That's what we're crying out for in our generation. You know, I've been back and forth and up and down and all around since I was last with you just three or four months ago. I've already gone platinum on Delta Airlines and it's just July. And I was sharing today on the way from the airport about how that everywhere we go, we find pockets of people up and down. I mean, I was in Alaska a few weeks ago. We found people in Alaska. I was in New York a few weeks ago. We found people in New York. I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Last week, we found people in Louisville, Kentucky. We were in Philadelphia right before that. We were in Karachi, Pakistan right before that. I mean, we found people hungry for a revival in the midst of a civil war in Pakistan. And they're all over the world right now, and they're crying out, just like I say, Oh, God, rend the heavens and come and show yourself that nations, that nations may tremble at your presence. Church, revival is a cycle that has come periodically throughout history. There's a scripture I want you to go and read on your own. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11, where God spoke to Jeremiah and he said, My people have committed two evils. The first evil is they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And the second was they built for themselves cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water. What God was saying is, my people Israel have forsaken me, the fountain of life-giving glory, power, life, blessing, healing, provision, protection, manifestation of the heavenly realm coming into the earthly realm. Said they have forsaken that and they have substituted something else. They built for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Now I want us to look quickly at some common characteristics of revival. And we've said it, but let me say it again. The characteristic that is common to every revival is the manifested presence of God. Why? Because the heavens have opened. The barrier between two worlds has been breached. And God's glory and God's presence has come into the earthly realm. I like the term atmospheric revival. I don't know who first used that. It might have been me. I don't know. But I like that because atmospheric revival is when the presence of God, it's when the barrier is broken and the presence of God comes in to the earthly realm, and it's not just experienced by a person or even in a church, but atmospheric revival is when the presence of God becomes tangible and palpable over towns and cities and regions and even nations. That's what Isaiah was praying for. God, open the heavens, come down here, that even nations might tremble in your presence. That's atmospheric revival. And we have not really seen atmospheric revival in America in over 100 years. We've had great revivals in America, great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, but not atmospheric revival. Atmospheric revival is when the presence of God becomes tangible and palpable over entire regions and multitudes of people get saved, including the churches, including the pastors. 
Now, there was a famous outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 1905 in Atlantic City, New Jersey. At that time, Atlantic City, New Jersey had 60,000 people living in it. And God opened the heavens and showed himself in Atlantic City, New Jersey. All but 50 people out of a population of 60,000 got radically saved in a matter of just a couple of weeks, including the pastors of the churches. There's an account, and it's in your book, Revival Glory, of a town in Delaware at that same outpouring of the Holy Spirit where the glory of God, the heavens were open, and the glory of God came on an entire town. I believe it was Smyrna, Delaware, in such a measure that there was another town three and a half miles away that the people of this other town stood looking in the direction of the town where the open heavens had occurred. And for three and a half miles away, they could hear the sound of a whole town weeping in the presence of Almighty God. Can you imagine that happening again? That's what we're contending for. That's what must come. It's when every person in a geographic area becomes aware of the supernatural presence of God that's being demonstrated. Do you know when atmospheric revival came to the Hebrides Islands of Scotland in 1948, there were fishing boats off the coast of Scotland that when the glory came, the fishermen just took their boats and ran them right up onto the beach and jumped out of the boats running toward the towns looking for churches to get saved. People came out of their beds in the middle of the night out of a sound sleep under the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit and went into police stations weeping under the power of God, asking the police to help them that they were dying, they were going to go to hell, and asking the cops what to do. And The cops would send them to church where they could be saved. That's atmospheric revival. And that's what has to come. When revival came in 1535 to Florence, Italy, through a Catholic priest by the name of Savonarola, the glory of God came in such a measure that many of the Catholic priests were selling the people holy water to keep the revival spirit away, keep the revival demons away. There were people in the Hebrides Islands that when the glory of God came in 1948, they left the Hebrides Islands to get away from the presence of God. It was so real that people wouldn't repent and people didn't want it. They had to leave. Oh, man, we got to have it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Up until this point, it's just been for the hungry. Amen. But I want it to get so hot <laughs> that people don't want it. They've got to pack a bag and, you know, catch a train, catch a plane, get on the interstate, go somewhere else to get rid of it because that's what came in Wales in 1904. It was set in that great Welsh revival. People in London, England that wanted to go to revival would go into the railway stations in England and say, I want to go to the Welsh revival. And they would tell them, just get on the train and go toward Wales. You'll feel it on the train. You'll feel it on the train. One thing that we've got to remember is revival is not a movement. It's not about a meeting. It's not about a movement. But revival is always about the manifested presence of a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Revival is the manifested presence of a person. 
the third person of the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father, co-equal with God the Son, the Lord Jesus. It is the manifestation of the person of the Holy Spirit. And friends, it's not an option either. My brothers and sisters, one of the most frustrating things to me over the years is how many people, how many churches have viewed revival as optional? Well, you know, we're just in another stream, you know, we're just in another stream. No, no, you're not in a stream at all. You're in a dry ditch, and you're going to die there. When God sends revival, revival is not an option. Because it's either drink in the gift of what God has sent, or it's to perish. Do you understand today, had God not sent revivals, had God never sent revivals, the church would have never survived. It was born in revival in Acts chapter 2. It has been sustained by revival for the last 2,000 years. And it has been every time that the church was about to slip into apostasy that God graciously sent revival. I'd say looking at conditions today, I'd say we're due one. We're due. Without revivals, the church would cease. Revival comes to fill the church with the life of God once more when it is on the verge of death. I want us to look very quickly in our remaining time what we have identified as being the seven faces of revival. Now, everybody look at me and listen to me very carefully. In every revival, every time God moves, every time there's an open heaven and God comes and revival fires ignite, in every one of those scenarios, brothers and sisters, you will find all of these seven faces manifested. The difference, however, is in various revivals, the Holy Spirit will emphasize some things greater than others. But you will find all the different faces and all the different components will be manifested in every revival But the emphasis, the big issue of the day in given revivals is the thing that is subject to change. The first face of revival is what we call a repentance revival. And a repentance revival is when the holiness of God comes, when the Holy Spirit comes as the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We've not seen this in quite some time, but oh God, send it again, send it again and a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that suddenly causes people to have an intense conviction of the Holy Spirit. Charles Finney walked in this kind of an anointing. Wherever Charles Finney went, repentance, revival followed him. Whole towns got saved. People weeping. I mean, it was recorded of Charles Finney's life that he walked in such an anointing, Charles Finney could be sitting on a train reading a newspaper, and because of the anointing of God that was on his life, people in the railway car would begin to come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and would be either become agitated and have to leave, or they'd begin to weep and get saved in the railroad cars. And Finney had never even preached. 
That's the face of repentance in revival. And it's a moral cleansing of individuals. And taken to its greatest manifestation, it'll change an entire society. And that's what we have to have again. The second face of revival is what we have termed an evangelism revival. In an evangelism revival, the emphasis is on soul winning. It is on getting people saved. It is on preaching the gospel and leading people to Jesus. It's great evangelistic missionary zeal that everyone wants everyone to be saved. Right now in certain parts of Africa, I believe that they are experiencing this kind of revival of evangelism. I'm going to be going to Nigeria in a couple of months to a great revival there, one of the great revivals with Reinhard Bonnke. And in Bonnke's meetings, it's not uncommon to see a million people. Several years ago, they had over a million people got saved in a single service. Can you imagine a meeting with three and a half million people there and a million people? I think it was 1,056,000 and something people got saved in a single meeting in Africa. That's an evangelism revival. The third one is a worship revival, and that's where people are consumed with worship of God. The fourth face of revival is a Holy Spirit power revival. In a Holy Spirit power revival, that's where you see great demonstrations of the healing power of God. Signs and wonders, healing, miracles. In the 1940s, a great healing revival was released in the earth. Men like Jack Coe and A.A. Allen and William Branham, Oral Roberts, Gordon Lindsay, Kenneth Hagin, many, many, many others, hundreds just in this nation. Oral Roberts' ministry was born in those days. It's in the Big Ten. And multitudes of people were healed by the power of God. Well, that's a Holy Spirit power revival. The fifth face of revival is a prayer revival, which is focused on prayer and intercession. In 1857, in New York City, a man by the name of Jeremiah Lantfear, I was just there a few weeks ago in New York, and I went to three places that had had great significance in American history. Those three places were Ground Zero, the former site of the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. That changed America forever. Right around the corner from Ground Zero is Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange. Wall Street and the New York Stock Exchange has been the lifeblood of the world's economy for many, many years. But there's a third location that's right there, almost in the shadow of where the Twin Towers once stood, and that was the Dutch Reformed Church on Fulton Street, where in September of 1857, there was a big economic crisis. There was a problem with foreign trade, and the largest insurance company in America went bankrupt. Anybody ever heard of AIG? And there was a Christian businessman that worked on Wall Street. His name was Jeremiah Lantfear. And he started having noontime prayer meetings in a little Dutch Reformed church. And a prayer revival ignited out of that that in a matter 
of only a few months. At the height of that revival, 50,000 people were being saved every week. 50,000 new believers were being born again every week. So great was that revival. There were whole towns in New England that there could not be found even one person that hadn't been saved. Hundreds and hundreds of towns in New York and Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and Connecticut, they closed the whole town down every day at noontime. Stores had closed, shops would close, everything would shut down every day at noontime for the whole town to come out and pray. And in those months and for the next two years, America was shaken with great revival. The sixth face of revival is what we term the Holy Spirit Presence Revival. Now we looked at Holy Spirit Power Revival, which were miracles and healings and power demonstrations, and that's one face of revival. But then there's the Holy Spirit Presence Revival, which I believe we have been enjoying really since the 1990s of people coming to church just to experience the presence of God and the anointing of God. And yes, we see healings. Yes, we see miracles. Yes, we see signs and wonders. But the attraction for people has simply been to come to church to experience the presence of God. That's the reason in our meetings we haven't given a dismissal to a meeting or a benediction or dismissal or told people to go home since 1993. The reason for that is God's come to every meeting since 1993. It's just the presence of God, and we don't tell God to quit and go home. We just tell people, you can quit and go home anytime you want to go home. But for those that want to stay, you can stay. Well, I think that's where we've been, you see, since the 1990s in places like Toronto, Ontario, and a thousand more around the world of people coming together to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. The seventh face of revival is what we call a deeper life revival. And an example of that would have been the charismatic movement or charismatic renewal of the 1960s and 70s in which the church was taken to a higher awareness and a higher dimension of God primarily through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the restoration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so these are seven personalities, seven faces of revival, every revival encompassing components of the other six, but with varying degrees of emphasis. Now we're coming to the close of this first session together And what we're believing is going to become a transgenerational revival. And a transgenerational revival is a revival that begins in one generation and continues into another. And I believe that's what we're on the verge of tonight. We've had children born that were raised in the outpourings of the Holy Spirit of the 1990s and the end of the 20th century that tonight are passionately in pursuit of a greater revelation in the 21st century. And what I believe in my heart as we come to a close in this first session together is what God wants to send is a tsunami of all seven together. 
Can you imagine such a revival that would come, that would be repentance and evangelism and worship, power, miracles, healing, signs, wonders, prayer, intercession, presence, deeper life, revival. Can you imagine the effect? That's what we must have. And so that brings us to the conclusion of defining what revival is. It's an open heaven. It's when God comes. It's when God shows up. It's when God interjects himself, his presence, his power, his personality into a church, a city, a region, a nation, or nations. And large, large numbers of people have radical experiences with him. Amen.